From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The issue of homelessness here in Colorado is on the minds of many, especially this time of year as temperatures plummet. People who don't have a place to stay warm often end up living out of their cars. But finding a safe place to park is tough. A program launched in 2020 is working to change that, one parked car at a time. Most of the people we serve are newly homeless, less than a year. Mm. Almost half are already earning an income through work. And many of the rest are receiving some sort of benefits income. We'll get an update on how the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative is working. People living in their vehicles is becoming more and more prevalent and more and more visible. We are the ones in Metro Denver who fill that void. Is that old car of yours taking up valuable space? Free up some room and make a difference by donating it to Colorado Public Radio. The process is safe and easy. You just have to find the title and the keys and we'll handle the rest. The proceeds of your gift go into CPR's operating budget. Fuel the news and music you rely on by donating your car. Find out how on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The issue of homelessness is far from being resolved here in Colorado, and it's a conversation that is on the minds of many, especially during the winter months here. Many who don't have a place to stay warm and to rest often end up sleeping in their cars. But finding a safe place to park can be challenging and at times virtually impossible. A program launched in 2020, just as the COVID-19 pandemic shutdowns got underway, has been working to change that. But as those COVID relief dollars begin to phase out, program leaders say they're now struggling to keep their sites open and keep up with the ever-growing demand. We're joined now by Terrell Curtis, who is the executive director of the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative. Terrell, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me back. Let's start with the basics. Explain for us what is the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative. The Colorado Safe Parking Initiative was created to serve the immediate needs of people who are experiencing homelessness and live in their vehicles. Mm. Um, For a lot of reasons, many of them aren't able to access traditional shelter, which, I mean, the shelters are often full. They're not in the place you need to be. Uh, Hours can be really constraining, but we also serve people with companion animals, with Mm. pets, and pets aren't allowed in any of the shelters I know of around the metro area. We serve couples without children. So if you're no income, no kids, there is no shelter that is available to you as a heterosexual couple. There are no shelter programs for that population. And the reason people come to us is the same reason pretty much everybody names as their reason for homelessness. They've lost their housing. Most of the people we serve are newly homeless, less than a year. Mm. Almost half are already earning an income through work. And many of the rest are receiving some sort of benefits income. So maybe they've already retired. They're receiving Social Security. They're receiving some sort of disability. But it's just not enough to pay the rent when your own housing costs start to rise 
Um, we've also seen evictions just in the last quarter of 2023 across the state reached an all-time high. I wow. think higher than they've been in 10 or 15 years. So Denver is certainly seeing a part of that. So I think we can expect that we'll continue to see the fallout of that over the next few months. And your program is not just about parking. You also take this critical time when your clients come to one of your sites to connect them with available resources. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So one of the challenges if you're trying to live in your car is it's not legal anywhere, often even on Hmm. private property. So if you are trying to stay in a park or in a quiet street, often you'll get moved along by police. You can be harassed. Um, People are often the victims of crime. So part of what we do is work with communities to make sure they have zoning in place to be able to accommodate people staying in their vehicle on a private um, parking lot. Most of our spaces are with faith partners. So they, meeting part of their mission, open up their lots to meet people's needs to just have a safe place to put their car overnight. But yeah, we um, are connected to other service providers across the various areas that we work in. So Mm -hmm. we're working to connect people to health services, to employment support, um, getting signed up for benefits if they're eligible and they just haven't enrolled yet, Um, finding rental assistance or down payment assistance. So we really work to be a central base for some of those other needs that people have. I'm also honing in on the key word in your description of your services is safe. I would imagine even if you did find a place to park. How can you rest when you don't know if someone's going to bother you, rob you? Absolutely. We did some surveys with our guests last summer where we asked some of those specific questions. You know, how what has difference has this made for you knowing that you have a safe and reliable place to park at night? And everyone says it means everything. None of us can function really well without rest. You're having to stay in your car as it is. So if you're worried about somebody banging on your window at night or the police coming along and giving you a hard time and just maybe it's not even a hard time. Maybe they're just saying you can't park your car here and you move along a couple of miles. You may do that three or four times a night. Wow. So there is no rest. So for our folks who are working during the day, it can become really challenging and it just elevates the stress level for folks who are already dealing with so much um, transition and trauma in their lives. What about nationally? Are there other similar programs across the country? There are programs, a lot on the West Coast, as a matter of fact, West Coast and Pacific Northwest. So actually, when we were starting doing the research back in 2019, there was a lot of conversation with safe parking organizations in Santa Barbara, in L.A., in in the San Francisco Bay Area, and up in Seattle and Portland. So it absolutely exists. There are are a couple other small safe parking programs in Colorado. Um, I believe Salida has one that's workforce-based. So for their, you know, they rely on tourism so much. I mean, it's so smart that you get referred by your employer if you're staying in your vehicle, and the city provides a safe parking lot, which is just 
so brilliant. In Brackenridge, I think there's a couple churches that are doing it. An organization in the San Luis Valley is just opening a safe parking program with Alamosa. And that was thrilling to hear because it's those rural areas that often get left out of this conversation. And they do have, like here in the big city, they have growing homeless needs. And your program is primarily the Denver metro area. That's right. We're in five of the seven metro counties. So we do, you know, basic operations here, but we do provide technical assistance across the state. So we've talked to communities in Durango, in Grand Junction, Fort Collins, Pueblo. People reach out to us all the time from across the state. And that is what it really takes. It takes entities from across the community I think, to make any homeless solution work. Uh, This is a community challenge, and it is best solved with community solutions. I want to get back to the specifics of your program, but I'm wondering, do you all have any type of network with these other organizations where you all communicate, share intel, so to speak? There is actually the National Vehicle Residency Collective, so it's a national organization of people and organizations who do live in their vehicle. Many of them are living in their vehicle as a matter of choice. They have deliberately left their traditional housing behind. But many are falling into homelessness, and they rely on their vehicles, that last remaining asset, for shelter, for transportation, for storage, because they'll put as much as they can from their apartment or home into that vehicle so that they know they can hang on to their most important belongings, and often one or two pets. Well, data collection is always critical to these programs. How many lives would you say you all have touched in this program, and how many are you currently serving? Yep. We have served around 200 households um, in the last year. And that's 110 households at a time. So across our 13 lots in Metro Denver, we can accommodate 110 households, whether it's individuals or families or couples. We do track all those folks. Where are they coming from? How are they moving through our program? And as much as we can, where do they go when they leave us? We use, like most everybody in Colorado, the Homeless Management Information System. And we're able to get pretty good data from there. And about a third of the folks who leave our safe lots are moving into permanent housing. How does the number you are serving stack up with the need of people who are in this situation? It's a little hard to tell because the point in time count is actually coming up. And this is a federal initiative in conjunction with HUD for communities across the country to literally do a head count in one 24-hour period of the people who are experiencing homelessness. Now, fortunately, because of this database, they can actually look and see in the database how many people and um, households are being served during that time. But we also... Um, the service providers and volunteers will go out on the streets. We go under bridges. We go into those places where we know people are staying, trying to stay safe and out of the way. And we count heads. So we're working with the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative this winter to really um, build a robust way of identifying and counting vehicular homelessness and then reporting it as well. It's Mm. a piece that continues to grow, 
and um, isn't always segmented out in the reports, but it's becoming, we believe, a pretty significant number of the homeless population. I think given the number of calls that we receive during a year in 2023, it was just over 2,000 calls for the year. So I think it's pretty safe to say there's at least 1,000 vehicles out there of families and individuals who need a safe place to be. And your guests, they register to go to a specific site. You can't just kind of show up. That's right. Sometimes people see a a small group parked in one of our lots and they pull in, but the safe parkers will let them know this is private property. This is what you need to do. And so we really do. I mean, they literally get a little permit number um, from that lot host that Mm -hmm. says, this is space number six. This is your space as long as you need it. Um, So people do register with us. We do the screening, a little interview, and then we place them wherever um, is best for them. Well, you kind of alluded to this earlier. Do you feel like your program is kind of trying to fill the void as Coloradans continue to struggle with affordable rent? Absolutely. I think all the time we're finding different voids and pockets of populations that maybe weren't as obvious to us before. But people living in their vehicles um, is becoming more and more prevalent and more and more visible. So we are the ones in Metro Denver who fill that void. In fact, the Tri-Cities in Arapahoe County which includes Sheridan, Inglewood, and Littleton. That's right. They have put safe parking as a general thing in their homeless program because it's not it's not super technical. You don't have to build a building, you know? You need a parking lot, you need an organizer, and that's really the basic of it, hmm. and a porta potty Those are really Definitely. important. But they are interested in learning more about uh, safe parking and how they can bring it to their communities. What do they need? So they're actually providing CSPI with some funding to do some of that feasibility work and that technical assistance to help them reach out to their communities. What is the need? What is the interest in supporting? And what do, you know, in the local government space, what do we need to do to make this possible? Because currently, none of those cities have the zoning that would allow this to happen. So there's there's some work to do, but it's work that we've done that we are particularly well suited to do. And we're excited to um, be part of their solution. Arapahoe County in general has brought in new funding this year to help support our safe lots in Aurora, the Aurora part that is Arapahoe County. So we're really gratified to get interest from other communities. Well, you actually make a great point. You're serving, in many cases, over 100 people And it's not a heavy lift in terms of personnel. Yeah, exactly. It really is simple. You know, it takes some support of caring people who want to make sure that people know where they can go and what resources they have. But it's a pretty simple solution. Well, it gets really cold here in Colorado. If the temperature reaches a certain level, do you have to make adjustments to the program? We do. We work individually with our parkers and with our safe lots to try and identify warmer, safer places for people to be. In the past, sometimes we've had some funding to help support with a quick couple of nights in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And people who are working and living in their vehicles often can do that on their own. 
Some of the churches provide some of that. But the other thing we do is provide winterization materials for cars. So often that's like insulation that goes in the windows Mm -hmm. of the car, sort of like a dashboard cover Mm -hmm. um, to reflect the sun. That can help. We have car battery operated like electric blankets or heating pads. We even got some sleeping bags in that are heated. So some of these kinds of materials are a less expensive way to help people stay safely warm enough to stay overnight in their vehicle because they're in a vehicle, but they're still really cold. Mm -hmm. Um, We know it's cold. I know how cold my car is in the morning. Absolutely. Um, They can't run their car all night, not safely. So we do everything that we can to make sure that people are safely accommodated uh, in their vehicles or somewhere else. Churches often have a little little legal wiggle room to invite people into the church overnight um, to make sure that they're warm. Uh, so so we're doing everything that we can. This coming weekend is going to be really important to make sure everybody's taken care of. Do you have a sense of how many people who go through your program end up getting permanent housing ultimately? Yeah, it's a little more than 30% of the people who leave the lots get into housing. And believe it or not, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that is generally the average across the country. It's a very dynamic way of living. People often when they're coming into homelessness are coming out of a pretty... I don't know, they have a lot going on often. So sometimes they're going into the hospital and then going on to live with someone else. Sometimes they're getting into one of the um, tiny home villages here in Denver. So it's not housing in particular, but it's a place that they can be longer term and more safely. So we're just, we do see people all the time moving into housing. Sometimes we just don't know where they go. Denver's new mayor has made finding permanent housing for people a priority. Is the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative working in tandem with the mayor's office on strategies? So the strategy that the mayor has initiated is really focused on people in those encampments who are living in tents. Mm -hmm. They have not moved into working with folks living in vehicles, either coming from safe lots or those who are out on Denver streets. It's really unclear what kind of funding might be available from Denver going forward with some of the change in priorities. A lot of our funding has gone away. Everybody's in need. Um, I really appreciate Mayor Johnston's putting some urgency and some shining some really bright lights on this need because we've needed that in Denver for a long time. So I appreciate that. I wish there that there was more that they could do for other people who are unsheltered. Are you all in conversation with this administration? Oh, yeah. All the time. I mean, we've had a contract with the city of Denver since May of 22. So we have regular conversations about how our program is going, especially since it's a pilot program. And a contract that we signed this last May was with ARPA dollars, COVID relief dollars, that we had until December of 25 to spend. And so... We were really excited about that. And so a lot of that particular contract has been redirected. So some of the updates you hinted to since we've talked last include new opportunities in the Tri-Cities area of Mm -hmm. Arapahoe County, which includes Sheridan, Inglewood, and Littleton. Any more you want to tell us about that? We are in conversation with the VA Community Center um, about 
the possibility of using the parking lot that's adjacent to their building for them to work with veterans who are relying on their vehicles for shelter. The beauty of this is it really puts CSPI in the community with community organizations who are best suited to serve the folks that we're talking about. So the VA has a pretty vast amount of resources to be able to offer to veterans. It's been such a target federally for the last number of years to really work to eliminate veteran homelessness. Um, So it would be pretty easy for us to be able to serve as sort of the logistics provider, provide a porta potty because what they don't have is really flexible funding. So we can do some of that, uh, serve about 10 of their veterans at a time, And because of the robust case management services they have, they can move people through pretty regularly, we think. Um, So we're really excited about that possibility. We're working with the property owner and the VA and um, anybody else who needs to be involved about hopefully putting that in place. Also making sure we have the funding to do what little we would need to do. In the last year, the city of Denver alone has absorbed more than 31,000 migrants from Venezuela. Is that situation at all affecting what you do? And are you expecting any of these families to show up at your sites? And do you anticipate that these families will need your support in the coming months and years? Yeah, the migrant crisis is really a crisis. Um, And you see so many of the migrants coming through in families, um, with often with really young children. So just as a citizen of Denver, it is something that I am very mindful of. One of the ways it, the funding streams that are being used are truly are coming from different pots. So we don't see, you know, sort of funding challenges, at least from government sources that way. But individuals and communities are really stepping up as much as they can to support the migrants. Um, I have so many friends who are even hosting a small migrant family in their home, um, who are going out almost daily to where migrants may be staying outside, bringing meals, bringing clothing, all of that. So I think it's a general community stressor. We have not seen, that I'm aware of, migrants coming to CSPI for support. They would have to have a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So as yet, I think most people are still on foot. So we're, you know, the nice thing about being a pretty small organization and pretty simply organized is we can be pretty nimble and adjust to what the community circumstances are. Um, So just as we're doing now with some of um, our funding constrictions, we're, you know, being mindful of the high rise in evictions. Um, So we may be seeing more people that way. Um, And potentially down the road, migrant families who've been able to settle a little bit and obtain a vehicle. You bet. Well, that leads me to my next question. What should the state be doing to address this housing crisis? Like if you had your dream, what would happen and what do you want state leaders to know? I think it's a parallel path with each with equal robustness. It's supporting people who are unsheltered, people in vehicles, people in tents, people often who are even couch surfing, which is pretty tentative. You know, you're staying with your aunt, you're staying with your cousin, you're staying with your friend, and you kind of run out of friends after a while. So they're going to fall out. 
and we have that eviction crisis. So with real robustness, getting people sheltered in some way, I mean, Denver owns a whole lot of hotels now. And so I hope that we can continue to use those as we do move people into housing. But that needs to happen across the state. As I say, it really is a statewide challenge. In the Even in those small rural communities, homelessness exists. And Maybe not at the same percentage as in Denver, but it doesn't take many in a small community like Bailey to really raise awareness and have a high need that you may not have all the pieces in place to support. Get people sheltered and at the same time build a really robust um, pipeline of housing for those people who are living on disability which means they really aren't going to pay very much at all of their rent. So those are, you know, subsidized uh, dollars that come from HUD often, so with housing vouchers, as well as housing for those folks who are working, just can't afford a place to be. If your mission resonates with someone out there, how does one support the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative? A lot of what we do, web-based, because we don't have a home of our own funnily enough. Um, So people can go to our website. There's a lot of information about what we do, stories about some of the people who we've served. And there's a very simple place to go in and give however much is meaningful to you, even no matter how much it is or how little it is. A monthly gift goes a long way to um, making sure that we're sustainable over time, especially as a young, smaller organization. Any amount makes such a difference. Terrell, anything else you want us to know about the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative? We are here. We are intent on making sure that people in the Denver metro area can be safe at night in their vehicles. Um, We're well on our way to doing that. And we hope to work with more communities across the state to help them learn about safe parking and what they can do. Terrell, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to see you again. Terrell Curtis is the executive director of the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative, a grassroots citizen-led nonprofit organization that provides safe, legal parking locations for individuals and families experiencing homelessness who are living out of their vehicles across the metro Denver area. Just under a year ago, we heard from some people who say the program has helped change their lives. My name is Patty Robertson. I live in Denver, Colorado. I've lived here all my life. I'm a native, and until about five years ago, I've always had a place to live. Then we fell on hard times and found ourselves having to live in our car for the first time in 60 years. I can honestly say with 100% certainty, safe parking is the sole reason we survived being homeless. It saved our lives. I uh, finally found the Safe Parking Initiative and applied, and they let me in here, which was a huge step up from constantly being harassed and ran off while living out of a vehicle. And it's great to see that there's people that actually care, people that haven't forgotten that homeless people are people too. I'm not going to say that life isn't hard right now, there's a massive problem here that needs looking at. All I know is I probably wouldn't still be alive if it wasn't for the safe parking initiatives. 
The last person you heard is Matthew Lash. We also visited one of the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative's program parking sites in Commerce City one extremely cold morning last year and met a member of their team who told us a lot about how the program works day to day. My name is Michael, and I'm the lot operator at this location for safe parking. And basically my job is when somebody is new to the site, we make sure that they fill out all their information and uh, that uh, their ID and vehicle matches what we have on their application. <laughs> and uh, we give them a welcome kit, which has a first aid kit, socks, hand warmers, hygiene, mask, you know, just something to help them get started. And uh, we go over the safety rules of the lot and uh, explain to them what time they're allowed to show up, what time they need to leave by in the morning. And uh, we basically just give them a place to where they can feel safe and have a good night's sleep. I know you all try to protect the locations to keep them safe, but without giving away any specifics, can you kind of just describe where you and I are standing right now and for someone who's well, not Yes, we're in a very safe location. We are close to government building and also to uh, the city health officials. Uh, law enforcement isn't far from here either. Uh, it's a nice clean space. The parking lot is well paved and taken care of. And the neighborhood surrounding it is aware of who is here and what's going on. And they're in support of it. And uh, so that helps a lot. And uh, definitely there is safety in numbers. So when somebody is homeless in a car and has experienced the dangers of it, once they come here, they feel safe because they're amongst other people experiencing the same things that they are in life. Yeah, so we're standing here. This is a weekday morning. And it's very chilly. Uh, even Michael here has on a hat and a, like two jackets and got his hands in his pockets. So it's it's pretty cold. And that's also part of what you're trying to do is to keep people out of the elements and make sure that if they are going to be living in their cars, that they have um, some safety. Yes. And also there uh, we help uh, direct them to other programs that they can apply for. That uh, like when it snows and stuff, there are programs that help them get motel vouchers, things like that. And uh, there are counselors and stuff that they're welcome to uh, interact with. You know, we try not to force anything onto somebody, but we also want them to be aware of all the help that is out there for them. And this is one of the newer lots in Commerce City. And the focus, I understand, is families. Yes. So tell us, Michael about some of the people you serve here? Well, it, it's a wide range of people, you know. Uh, we do have a family that's staying here right now. We have a couple of single gentlemen that are here right now. And so it, it ranges very much. Uh, and uh, the reason people become homeless ranges very much. You know, not everyone ends up in this situation for the same reason. And so, you know, you try not to put everybody under one umbrella. You have to understand what they're going through. And uh, some people are very shy. Some are very outspoken, which is okay, you know. Basically, the biggest part is is to make sure that they know that they have a support system, you know, people who want to help them. Kind of describe for us the schedule. So you come at a certain time, you leave yes. at a certain time. At this particular lot, now every lot is a little bit different for its circumstances. At this particular lot, 
there, everyone's allowed to show up at 6 p.m. at night. At 10 p.m. at night is what we call quiet time from 10 mm -hmm. to 5. There's no leaving, going back and forth, no radios, you know, nothing like that. And by 7.30 in the morning, everyone needs to be cleaned up around their vehicle and leave the lot. And uh, most people stay here on a nightly basis, but uh, the rule is at least four nights a week if you want to reserve your spot. Uh, if there is something that comes up, you know, they just notify me or someone else with Colorado Safe Parking Initiative and let them know how what's going on. And we try and work with everybody so that they can keep a spot and stay, you know, where they want to be. Also, you provide, you know, we're standing right here near, uh, you know, what they call a porta potty. Yes. But that also gives people access to youth facilities. And you'd be surprised how important that is to a homeless person, uh, especially after the COVID and everything. Public bathrooms are not readily accessible anymore. So to be able to have a place and, and it's big enough, we have a small wash station in, inside of it to where they can wash up and everything. Uh, it's big enough to where you can change your clothes if you need to change real quickly. And uh, everyone that I've dealt with so far has been very, very polite about the time that they use it, how long they're in there cleaning it up. Uh, and that's one thing that is uh, very much a joy to watch is how much everyone tries to help keep everything picked up and clean at this particular site. Uh, uh, makes my job very easy in the mornings, you know, and uh, uh, we've had no complaints that I'm aware of of uh, anyone leaving any trash. It's uh, very, been a very nice experience to know that all these people care and want to help each other. And what responses have you gotten in terms of feeling shared from those you serve in terms of what this has meant for them to just have access to a place like this. Oh, they just enjoy the safety and uh, just uh, and again they feel like they're part of a community, you know, which uh, helps when you feel like you're an outcast from society for a while to know that you're accepted somewhere, that you're not the only one experiencing that kind of problem. You yourself say you have used these services. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience? Yes, my wife and I. Uh, it, it was a rough start when we became homeless, and uh, we weren't getting a whole lot of help. And then we were f referred to some people, and uh, they've helped us, well, for one, have a place to stay. They've helped us a little bit with some vehicle maintenance that we needed. Uh, you know, and it differs from person to person what's available. I've spoken with your executive director, and um, she talked about, you know, this is supposed to be about safety, but also, as you mentioned, access to resources yes. that can help people get out of the situation and transition out. Uh, have you heard any success stories? Recently, a family that was staying here is uh, now received their Section 8 housing. They got it a little quicker because of their situation. Mm. Because, you know, there's a line for everything. Uh, and, but uh, it worked out to where they were able, uh, through this program and another program, that uh, when, uh, when everyone's filling out their paperwork, we uh, highlight some other things mm. that they can apply for and where they can receive help. And 
that's how they can move on into better housing, better facilities, uh, get, get different kind of help that they need. You know, some people it's medical maybe that they need. Some people it might be automotive. Some people it might be clothing. Uh, you know, it varies very much on what one person might need. Uh, I myself know that they gotten help with uh, glasses, which uh, is, you know, some people take for granted. But when you need glasses and yours are all broke up and everything, you know, awesome. just to be able to get a pair of glasses is a fantastic thing. And also through a lot of these people that you can be referred to is also, you know, mental health issues, just people you can talk to if you need to. Uh, it's a wide range of help that's out there and people who want to reach out. But a lot of people on the street don't even know that they're there sometimes. So, you know, try, being the go-between is a nice thing. So how does it make you feel when you hear the success stories or people saying, hey, because of this location, I was able to receive the information that I needed? Well, it's very satisfying, and I'm on both sides of that story because we were down and out, and we're still not where we'd like to be, but uh, we we're in a better spot in life. So it's very satisfying when you see it work for somebody else, too. And what about your own situation? Is that something you're working on? Oh, yes, definitely. And uh, we're on a lot of lists for Section 8 housing. I recently uh, became a senior citizen, so that moves us into a different list mm. of, uh, you know, availabilities on Section 8 and stuff. So, uh, And uh, thanks to some of the counselors and people that we've been working with, uh, we've left no stone unturned, if you understand what I mean. At this point, there was uh, lists and stuff that we didn't even know about that they got us on to and aware of. And uh, so there, there is a lot of help out there if people want to seek it. There are a lot of misconceptions about the unhoused community. And um, you work closely with this. It's been a part of your experience. And you are also working here on site to help others. What is it that you want people to know? If you do want help, if you do want to change your situation, there is help. It's just a matter of reaching out a little bit and accepting it. Uh, a lot of homeless people have gotten to be a little closed-minded because of the way they've been treated by society. Uh, and so they don't really realize that there are a whole lot of people who don't want to treat them that way, who want to help them have a better life. And again, it's if they choose and want to. And there are a lot of people who do want to. What about those who have not experienced being homeless? What do you want them to know about this community that they may not know or misunderstand? Well, uh, I hate to put it this way, but the truth is, is it could happen to anybody at any time. Sometimes you think you've got the most safe situation in life, and tomorrow life can turn differently. So, uh, you know, it might be good maybe sometime if someone has maybe an extra couple hours or something just to volunteer somewhere, even at a food bank or uh, just anywhere uh, at a park or something, you know, and just to maybe touch some of the other lives and see what it's like for them and see how much it touches their life, too, to uh, reach out and help. Any final words on the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative? Uh, very, very, very kind people. 
very open-minded, very big heart. I didn't even know they existed till a couple of months ago. Basically, back in uh, September is when I found out about them. And uh, they just really care about trying to make a difference in the community, giving not only homeless people a safe place to be at, but also give a community a chance to, you know, know, well, if they give them a place to stay, the community knows that they're homeless and that they're being managed well and that they're safe too. So, you know, it makes everybody in the area feel better. Michael, thank you so much for sharing. You bet. Michael Meyer manages a Commerce City parking lot part-time for the Colorado Safe Parking Initiative. Michael and his wife were once a part of the program, living out of their vehicle until they were able to secure some long-term, long-term stable housing. We'll put a link to the nonprofit's website in the Colorado Matters podcast later today at CPR.org. We'll be right back with Kids Teaching Adults. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Every time you buy a scratch-off or a lottery ticket, some of that money goes to support our great outdoors. Colorado Parks and Wildlife receives 10% of their funding directly from the lottery, and that's for investments in our state parks system. But how much money are we talking? Read the story from Colorado Wonders at CPR.org. Made possible in part by the Colorado Health Foundation. Works from one of the country's most renowned American art collections are on display this winter at the Denver Art Museum. And there are some special voices in the audio guides. CPR's Eaton Lane takes us to meet them. Walking through the galleries for the show All Stars, American Artists, from the Phillips Collection, you'll find important works by renowned artists such as Edward Hopper, Jackson Pollock, Georgia O'Keeffe, and Child Hassam. Listening to the audio guide, you may hear some unexpected voices. This painting is called My Shanty Lake George by Georgia O'Keeffe. I noticed that there was a fence, and it's cutting off the tree that looks like a dragon. So it's like the tree's outside of the fence and not inside. To make the All-Stars exhibition even more special, the dam has introduced a first-of-its-kind element to the audio guide. My name is Louisa McKinstry, and I'm 10 years old. My name is Jose Maria. I'm in sixth grade. My name is Joan Opera. I'm in fourth grade. My name is Catherine, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. I'm in second grade. Select guides for the show were created, recorded, and produced by a group of youth art explorers between 5 and 12 years old. This painting is called Number 182. It was made by Morris Lewis in 1961. I saw a rainbow waterfall that falls forever. It starts from where it kind of drips, because I was thinking that the white might be like a blank cliff, and then it falls forever down. Rory Patikin, the curator of modern and contemporary art at DAM, credits the museum's learning engagement team for making it happen. So, I mean, each summer we have summer art camps, um, classes for, for youth. And so our learning engagement team took that opportunity to sort of pilot and experiment uh, with a youth audio guide for uh, this exhibition. The students shared their insights, reactions, and perspectives on the art in both English and Spanish. 
Catherine's favorite painting in the museum is called Lower Manhattan, which holds significance for her because she was born in Manhattan, New York City. So what was the first thing that stuck out to you that you remember? What I remember is that, like, the impact of seeing a picture of the place that I was born and feeling that, like, it wasn't forgotten, because usually New York is, like, really dirty. But the fun thing about it is it has the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> yes, and it actually is a pretty good representative. A, they actually have a lot of buildings, and B, because you can barely sleep at night. <laughs> no, I mean it. It's hard. Like, really hard. Because of the noise. Yeah. Sirens, horns. Louisa McKinstry says her favorite painting was fantasy. I like how it's really colorful and it looks really fun to be there. Even though it's not the most, like, realistic, it looks a bit more abstracty. I can kind of imagine what it would be like to be there and it feels very nice and peaceful. Jose Maria, who is a regular visitor to the Denver Art Museum, says his favorite painting in the exhibition is The Elder by Joseph Holston. He looks familiar. He looks familiar? I don't know why. I, I, I feel like I've seen that face before. I just, hey, he looks like my sister, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like the nose and all that. Esta pintura se llama El Anciano, de Joseph Holston. Noté que hay cierta diferencia entre los colores del borde y los del centro. Es como si un reflector luminara. What did that feel like to be able to do them in Spanish for people? Um, it felt kind of nice because I know two languages. I'm very proud of the languages I know. It's a privilege, you know. Yeah. And so I think I can do more because Spanish and English. I didn't get the chance to do it in English but I'm still kind of proud of myself. Juniper Miller-Cole found one painting to be a real standout. Well, in DNA, which is one of my favorite paintings too, I learned that the artist's birth certificate was in the painting, which was kind of cool to me. Like they just drew it in the painting or they actually... They actually put the birth certificate into the painting. Oh, wow. The young audio guide narrators all say they had fun working on the project and enjoyed the creativity and freedom it allowed them. While those voices on the guide are from children, that's not the only audience it's intended for. Museum officials hope their adult guests will give it a listen, too. How does it feel to know that you're going to be teaching adults who visit the museum about the paintings that you're describing? Weird. Feels kind of wrong. It feels kind of wrong. Yeah, it feels kind of wrong. It feels kind of wrong. I agree. <laughs> Sitting in for this conversation are the kids' adults who don't think it's weird at all to be taught by their children. I feel like it is so right. And I do think that kids can teach um, adults a lot. Um, you know, the mind is unfettered. They have less years <laughs> to have their brains full of other stuff. And I found it really deeply moving as well. Uh, no matter what age you are, no matter... What you know, what you do, everybody is entitled to their opinion. And uh, I, I find it refreshing to, to hear uh, their opinion because they're, frankly, a lot of time more insightful <laughs> than what some of us, with all the baggage that we have and, and so forth, to, to hear an opinion fresh like this, it's, it's inspiring. And I think it's, it's, it's welcome. That was Angelica Danio, Louisa McKinstry's mother, and before her, Renee Miller, one of Juniper's mothers. Komal Druv, the youth programs coordinator in family programs, 
hopes to see more youth audio guides at the Denver Art Museum because all visitors can benefit from them. I think also hopefully encourages people who are intimidated by art to be less intimidated and want to explore more. So I think that seeing the bravery of kids and sharing these opinions um, and thoughts can also encourage that in adults or just people of all ages. All Stars, American Artists from the Phillips Collection is on view at the Denver Art Museum through March 3rd, 2024. I'm Eden Lane, CPR News. The Denver Art Museum is a financial supporter of CPR News, but has no influence on our editorial content. You may see photos of the young audio guides on our website, which is CPR.org. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Molly Cruz. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Tom Hess. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. This is CPR News and KRCC.